What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain I received so much positive feedback from you guys about this podcast, and I just want to share my gratitude for all the love and all the support, and then let you know some of the other cool stuff that we have going on. You might have heard me talking about and posting about the Design Your Life event that's coming May 2nd and May 3rd. It's going to be myself and Gary V and NQ on stage at the Paramount Theater. We're talking about how to make the KPI, make your goal, be happiness, be success, be fulfillment, of a life well lived. And then the following day, we have Emily Fletcher, another great podcast guest, David Rutherford, probably the most inspiring human being I've ever been around, one of the most positive human beings. So please check that out on it.com slash design your life. And I hope to see you guys there. Also, the newsletter is rocking and killing it. AubreyMarcus.com, sign up for that. Check out what's going on in my head on a weekly basis. And of course, please check out onit.com slash Aubrey. Even if you're not shopping for anything, check out the page, see what's going on there. Let that be your landing point. Lock in the savings. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much. And share the podcast with friends. Let people know about it. Let's build this community. Let's make it as dope as possible. When you talk about some of the OGs in the health and wellness human optimization space, you got to talk about Mark Sisson. He's the founder of Primal Kitchen, Primal Blueprint, and he's just one of the human beings that actually lives every single day the stuff that he's talking about. But recently, he had a major exit from Primal Kitchen and wanted to talk to him about that and also his perspective on life, how you can authentically build a brand be an entrepreneur, and be someone who represents all of those things that you talk about truly fundamentally to the core. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with my friend, Mark Sisson. Mark, my man. Aubrey. It's good to see you. Likewise, man. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. I haven't got to say that to you in person at all. Yeah. That's huge. And that really segues. And what I'm congratulating him for is the sale of Primal Kitchen. Yeah. Primal Kitchen. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean it's fantastic, and it's uh, you know we it's been a crazy ride for just less than four years. I mean, I started this company when I was sixty-one years old. Thought I was like finished, and then all of a sudden, hear that, kids? It's never too late. It's never to start too a late. Badass company. All you have to do is spend your entire life building a platform no sh- and expertise, no shit. and then you can start a company. Uh, like I say, it's a forty-year overnight <laughs> success story. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, but it was, you know, the timing was great um, every way, every every step along the way. We had, uh, you know, I built this brand, uh, been talking about food pretty much my whole career, 
And only in the last couple of years did I realize, dang, I'm talking about food all the time. And, and I'm talking about good for you food, healthy food, uh, you know, better made food. And no one is creating a product on the shelves that would fulfill what I would think would be the criteria for that. Yeah. The stuff you put on real food, the sauces, the dressings, the toppings, uh, you know, the condiments, the salad dressings and all that stuff that really gives food its flavor. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was the idea, like to to make the best in category of each of these types of products. Now, did the idea come with the whole spectrum of the idea of all the sauces or was it just one? Was it just like, man, this mayonnaise is bullshit. Like I need to no, get it a was better mayonnaise. It, it was um, the full spectrum? First year, all the R&D was based on a whole suite of products. Man, we came up with some salad dressings and we came up with some ketchup and some barbecue sauces and some mayonnaise. And at the end of the year, the only thing we could make commercially to scale was the mayonnaise and we sort of sat back and went well you know are we going to wait another year till we could get all these things you know figured out or do we launch with a mayonnaise and test the marketplace out and that's what we did and you know everyone was saying you're crazy if you don't have at least three products you can't you shouldn't launch a product and um you know and then we then we immediately went into another category of bars and then we went to salad dressing so you know we're we're in three aisles by the end of year one <laughs> and every uh, you know, every every mentor that we talked to, every, you know, venture capitalist that was looking to see what we were doing suggested that we were crazy and that that was just the wrong way to go about it. And you're going to fail. And of course, my naivete and my hubris, uh, you know, a lot, just had me saying, no, I'll show you. We'll show you how it's done. <laughs> yeah, that's I think there's a conventional way to do everything, but everybody knows the conventional rules, right? But they'll still yeah. try to advise you to do the conventional thing. But if you do, your likelihood of success because of the lack of authenticity of doing what you actually want to do and what yeah. you really are passionate about will undermine your efforts and the conventional wisdom more often than not, it seems. No, absolutely. This was this was about um, disruption from day one. We were going to disrupt the the supermarket, the store, mm-hmm. you know, the, the grocery store. Uh, we were going to come out with some products that were game changers, and and we did. And it just took a little bit longer than we anticipated. We had a little bit of a stutter step at first, but then you know now we have forty products. Wow, I didn't know you had forty. Yeah. So did you finally come out with the ketchup and the barbecue sauce? Did oh those? my god, man! I, I haven't got those. Where have you been? I don't know. I'm buying Dang. fucking other <laughs> other stuff <laughs> because the mayonnaise, the mayonnaise and the dressings, they're just a part of my life. Yeah. Now. That's just a, it's just like a permanent. No, so part. we created. Like, what, what am I going to do? Buy canola? Of course. Buy canola? Man- no, I'm not. No, I'm going to buy Primal Kitchen Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, the, the the ketchup uh, we introduced last summer, and uh, you know, it it was at, at the um, Expo East, which is the big you know mm-hmm. food show on the East Coast in this country, and uh, it won not only best condiment, but it won uh, be, um, Consumer Choice Award. It won you know best overall product basically in the in, you know like the Oscars. I'm, of I'm that. just totally blowing it. Yeah, <laughs> not that I'm a huge ketchup guy. The thing about ketchup is is that ketchup I usually eat with like french fries or yeah. like carbs or something yeah, like yeah. that so i'm already fucking up if no, it's ketchup whatever so i might as well go but the mayonnaise though i mean mayonnaise yeah. is i mean i'm making this curry cauliflower i actually talked about it in my book that kind of curry cauliflower yeah. salad or any kind of it just pairs so well with meats and, and other kind of yeah. sauces and things that i mean that's the thing it's, it's the sauces that make you know food taste great and give it that variety so you know it's the carnivore diet right now right it, that a lot of people are doing are you doing the carnivore no. diet? no okay no 
Um, but you know, if you're going to eat steak every day, Kyle might... tried the carnivore diet and he got like a keto rash that oh. started on oh, his Jesus. stomach and started creeping down towards his dick. And then Uh-oh. he was like, "That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. He tapped I'm out. out. He right? tapped out. <laughs> yeah. We had like a whole experiment. He was going to try it for like 40 days. He lasted like 12. Oh god. And then the rash started creeping towards his genitals. That's He's like, no good, it. man. That's Stay scary over. stuff. That's scary yeah, stuff. No, you don't want. You don't want yeah. So now we have a barbecue sauce. We have two of them actually: a red, a regular, and a and a gold. Um, we have uh, a steak sauce that is unbelievable and again like a1 style better and and um (laughs) and and, and, yeah style exactly and it's you know organic and unsweetened so there's not only no sugar there's no you know and there's no paleo sugar right there's no maple sugar or approved sugars but there's also no monk fruit or stevia it's completely unsweetened that's cool yeah it's really cool that's so that's a huge success that one's gone really well You've bombed a couple though too. Yeah, I want to. I want to talk about some yeah. of these. I want to talk through your journey. You know, some of the successes and some of the failures. So, what do you think when you look back at some of the some of the failures versus some of the successes? What are some of the things that you can draw that made some succeed and some fail? Where are the pitfalls for all these aspiring entrepreneurs? These people who were looking to start something. You know, it's become a cliche on social media now about you have to fail in order to succeed, and you have to fail, 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 and and learn from the failures. It's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you see that as a meme now, or you see that as some, you know, overstated kind of, uh, you know, again, cliche, um, understand that, that you can fail your whole life. You only need one success to make everything you ever did worth it. Right. Right. It's not like you need 10 successes or 50 successes. You can have 10 or 50 failures, but if you have one success, dude, you, you win. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, you know, I had a, I've had a number of them, but, but um, you know, one that comes to mind right now, for example, is um, in 2004, I'd been, uh, I'd started a supplement company in about 10 years prior. It had grown very nicely on the strength of my appearances on television. I would go on these talk shows and I'd, and I'd sponsor the shows and I'd talk about health and fitness and diet and exercise and some medical stuff. And I knew what I could get away with saying on TV. I was very uh, clear on the legal issues there. And oh, by the way, I have these supplements that I'm selling. So uh, the, it was a very successful model. It was almost like direct response. It was almost like infomercial. And I sold a lot of products. I had, you know, I had, uh, I don't know, 4,500 people on regular monthly auto ship for $129 a month product, right? Wow. It was going great. And I had like six employees and very high margins. Yep. Then something happened. I had 2004, the, the wheels fell off. Um, there were now 300 cable channels and there was dish and direct and and there was the internet and so uh there were all these different ways in which people were choosing to make their purchases the online purchasing was starting to become a thing and here i was with my call center ready to take phone calls mm. from people who'd see me on tv so it, it really kind of ceased working uh but i thought uh no i can fix it <laughs> so, so uh in 2005 i i produced and starred in uh, my own TV show called Responsible Health. And I shot 52 half-hour episodes of this show. And That's I had commitment. guests. Pardon me? That's a commitment. Yeah, it was a huge commitment. Are you kidding me? And it was a yeah. huge... I mean, when you shoot stuff for television and you and you put it on tape, it's way expensive, right? And then mm-hmm. you have to... So I, I shot the shows. I mean, I built a set. I had a, I had a guest host. I had, uh, uh, I had a co-host. I had guests on all the time. I had three guests per segment sometimes, or th- wow. per show. It was a really well done show, if I do say so myself. And then I bought <laughs> then I bought time on Travel Channel. So I was on at 8:30 in the morning on the Travel Channel all across the country, 95 million homes, right? 
But if you, uh, and then I, w- I was the sponsor. So I would, in the breaks, I would sell my supplements. Right. And that's uh, what they give you when you buy the time slot. They give you the ability to sell the commercials. Yeah, or that's they how give it, you buy works. you buy the whole twenty eight fifty. Yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, that's expensive too. So now you have to pay to produce the shows. You have to pay to air the shows, and hopefully you can make the money back on the sales. Mm-hmm. But then if you if you start to look at the numbers back in those days, uh, you know, of all the television stations and all the people watching in the country, you know, eighty percent are watching ABC, CBS, NBC, and maybe Fox. And then you set those aside. And then there's maybe, by the way, there's probably at that time in the morning, there's only twenty percent of the people watching television. To begin with, sure. right? So then you set aside the eighty percent that are watching the big ones. Then you ne- the next eighty percent are watching, I don't know, HBO, Showtime, maybe ESPN, uh, you know, maybe one of the news channels. By the time you get down to who was actually watching Travel Channel at eight thirty in the morning, even though I was in ninety five million homes, was like twelve hundred people. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> it's like twelve hundred people. So so I lost like a million and a half bucks doing that. Now, this is when my business was already starting to tank because I'd lost the customers from the prior arrangement. Sure. Now I, I, I blew through all this money. Now I've got a wife and two kids, and I've got you know no money in the bank, and I'm try- like, what, what the hell's going to happen here? What am I going to do? How am I going to rally? Uh, what's the next step? Uh, and that's when I had the epiphany, like, okay, I'm good at creating. I'm great at creating content. Um, and uh, you know this new internet thing, this blogging thing sounds kind of cool. Uh, I bet I could start doing that. And I bet within a couple of weeks, I'll have a few hundred thousand followers. So I started blogging. I started March Daily Apple in 2006. And lo and behold, after one year, I had a thousand visitors a day. It was not growing anywhere near what I thought it would. But after mm-hmm. two years, it was 2,500 per day. And after, and it doubled and sometimes tripled every year. And so I got to the point where I had a very uh, faithful following. And uh, you know, on, on the basis of that following, I wrote a book. The book, the Primal Blueprint, became the brand, uh, and so you could say that the the lessons I learned from the TV experience carried over into a pivot that allowed me to take advantage of this new technology, uh, blogging in this case, a new platform, and create um, probably a much not probably definitely a much larger platform than I would have had had I stuck with the television model. I think that's really. <clears throat> interesting to generalize from because things are always changing and things get arbitraged out right so the tv you know kind of honey hole that you had found where you're just pulling crabs out yeah. you know day day after day yeah. from that eventually people get wise to that and it changes i remember for us on it started on the back of podcasts before anybody had podcast agencies before the pricing was exactly right so we were getting 10x rois on most of these podcasts that we're advertising and now for the big shows, I mean, you're armed out to yep. having to hustle to yeah. get your money back, yeah. you know, and that's always tends to be the way it goes. Facebook was the same way with their ads. Then they kind of figure out the program. Instagram's the same thing. YouTube's the same thing. Everything starts off. And when it catches that momentum, there's a lot of opportunity, but then you can't count on that forever. No, you no. can't count on doing the same thing. You got to be ready to look okay, what's the next thing? How can I evolve this thing so you don't get fucking blockbuster videoed as you're sitting no, around uh, the- but that's a, I mean, that's a great example. Uh, you know, there, there are so many um, things now because of the democratization of the internet and the world. And now uh, the, the, there's a time compression. So even the opportunities that present themselves that are great, gold, that are gold mines that would have lasted three years or four years now last six months or eight months before the rest of the world catches on and- and and there's that compression and that race to zero margin. Yeah, I remember my, uh, so my dad was a commodities trader, futures trader, and he oh. traded 
you know, currencies, metals, grains, the whole, the whole gamut of all the futures. And that was back in the eighties, you know, that was really about how fast you could get information, how fast you could react. Internet wasn't flourishing there. So it was about people like literally calling you at different times or you watching the news. I remember one day, um, my dad, this is, I was real young, but my dad made a bunch of noise when this is happening. He goes to the bathroom in the middle of the night. He had TVs in his bathroom so that when he was going to the bathroom, just in case something was happening. And he saw, I believe he saw like Russia rolling tanks into one of its little neighborhood countries as russia has a tendency to do at Mm. certain periods which then in the 80s in particular freaked out okay the russian military is mobilizing and that was a huge fear that everybody had and this was like 3 30 a.m in the morning like dead middle of the night total surprise and so dad calls up his you know calls up his futures book and and i guess it was maybe japan that was trading or some you know overseas he had books that could buy in Mm -hmm. in the markets at any time he's like you see this you see these tanks they're like no and anytime the world became unstable at that it was reliable that metals prices would go up gold would go up so he you know highly leveraged started buying gold as soon as he saw those tanks rolling and he was one of the first people awake who just happened to be watching the news and then boom wakes up the next morning gold's up major you know gold Mm -hmm. i forget the the amount but a huge huge raise because by the time you know 7 a.m rolled around and everybody's waking up to new york like oh shit yeah you know there's something going on and that opportunities like that existed where there was like information gaps and he thrived in those in those years because he was just tapped in new people who were watching things and then eventually with the trading systems and the information and the disbursement of information that arbitrage went out and it became a real hustle for him to continue to make money even though he was one of the pioneers no, I've seen that happen in a lot of in a lot of cases. I mean, today somebody at the at the um, expo today was telling me that he trades energy futures, um, and he does two hundred thousand trades a day sometimes because they're mm. little program trades right. that they're making a, a penny here and a penny there. But you know that shit adds up. But that's that's the spread they're working on. Yep. You know, and they're looking, and, he, and he's a quant, so he's he's it's all done by algorithm that looks for minor discrepancies and immediately acts on them in, in literally microseconds, sometimes nanoseconds now. Yep. It used to be, you know, a millisecond was a big edge, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the microsecond became a bigger edge, and yep. now they're trading, you know, it's like... Yeah, now, all the computer systems. All the systems are looking for the for the next generation of supercomputers so they can make the trades even faster. <laughs> it's unbelievable, yeah? Yeah. And then, all right, so the pivot. By the way, all of which is to just chase down some... Uh, it's all arbitrage, right? It's yep. all... Nobody's... Nobody's using that money to invest in the future of anything they're not using that they're nope. just they're just exchanging pieces of paper representing fractional ownership in something they have that has no idea what's going on behind the scenes <laughs> one time uh, one of the funny stories that that my dad would tell is if you had a futures contract and basically you're buying something in in the future right yeah. you don't take you're not taking ownership of it this is the future sale of something that's yeah. why they call it the futures so he had a he had a contract for eggs that he forgot about you know because <laughs> yeah. again there wasn't these systems yeah, that kind of yeah. accumulated there wasn't like you go on your fucking e-trade and you see all your stuff and yeah. you know exactly all what's your going open on. accounts he called somebody and yeah. he got an egg contract totally forgot about his egg contract and then the people were like okay you're about to take delivery of your eggs yeah and he's like take delivery of yeah. my eggs yeah. what the fuck am yeah. i gonna do yeah, with these of eggs. thousands yeah. of yeah. eggs yeah. so he had to like hustle and like make a deal with actually an egg distributor who could sure. actually do something with the eggs yeah got fucking hosed on that price because he was highly distressed 
but it's just an interesting really interesting time where that was an opportunity then and i think we'll still see those but i think like you said that time window is collapsing yeah because there's a lot of hungry people a lot of people listening to gary v and like i'm gonna fucking do something i'm gonna do something myself i'm gonna get it yeah and and, and there, people will do that i mean i i feel like we had enough of a of a head start on the food side when we created primal kitchen and started you know we were the first ones to use avocado oil as uh basic raw material in most of our products now other people are doing that but we sort of had enough of a head start that we were able to establish a footing, a foothold, and we were able to um, to leverage the brand mm-hmm. uh, over others who were just entering the space with maybe similar products or similar attempts at products, but didn't have the brand that we had. You know, so you have to sort of look for your, uh, you know, that that sweet spot. You know, that thing that you that um, is timely and that uh, addresses a need and is maybe disruptive. And, and I have to say, timing is huge in all of that. Timing is absolutely huge. But one of the things that is not time sensitive is investing in your own brand and your own message, right? I mean, all of these, all of the sale of all your products was in some way dependent upon that choice in 2006 to start slowly investing in yourself and being consistent with that content that you put out on Mark's Daily Apple daily that's yeah. why it's called yeah, Mark's yeah, exactly. daily yeah. apple right right like you would have really fucked yourself if you couldn't keep up to that claim yeah. right you, yeah you made you said the word daily and yeah. you stuck to it and then that built a following and then once you had that following it's about tailoring your products to the following in a way that would make sense and something that you would enjoy but i think that's one piece where if you're an aspiring entrepreneur or business person know that building your platform and building yourself as a voice yeah. and someone that people trust and look to that will always pay dividend there'll be a million ways that you can that you can monetize that depending on what you're passionate about because people will they'll be listening yep no i mean you it's it seems like the world of uh, commerce is kind of taking two directions one is you know commoditized products which is what what uh was described 30 years ago as a race to zero margin uh so you know it's people trying to uh, and particularly with shopping bots and all of the opportunity you have to pick out products on online and then choose from the lowest seller that day mm-hmm. uh that's one way to go but that's kind of a dead end street i think and the other is is the exact opposite which is brand you know if you build your brand and people are buying on the basis of authenticity and credibility and whatever uh belief system you may have um you know expose them to i don't know however it however it manifests itself uh, those are two very disparate ways of looking at a purchase if you're a consumer. Sure. And there's certainly, um, you know, there's an opportunity if you're building a brand to capitalize in, like, as you said, in whatever way you want. I mean, I started Primal Blueprint and the, fir- the name first came to me in 2007. And uh, I knew it was going to be a brand and I knew it was going to have longevity and I knew it was going to be um, a brand that uh, would have uh, you know, an, an evergreen brand. So I didn't use anything with paleo, for instance, because mm-hmm. I thought paleo was going to be kind of have a limited lifespan. Uh, and I didn't, it really didn't even care what products I, I, I sold under that brand. It was books at first. Uh, I had Primal Blueprint Publishing, and we've done uh, 12 books under my name and probably 20 other books by other authors. Uh, we did seminars. We did da- uh, uh, experiences called Primal Con, where a three-day, you know, sort of real-life living immersion into the paleo world and primal world. Um, you know, I sold supplements under primal nutrition, primal blueprint. 
Uh, and it wasn't really until the uh, you know the food idea kind of hit me that it that it really took off. I did very well with these other products enough that uh, you know I could call all of them success. But the food thing was just like the all of a sudden everything kind of coalesced and came together, yeah. and all the work I'd been doing, um, you know, not only paid off for me, but I think uh, was uh, it, the, I think the world was now ready. For it. And I think you've probably seen a number of uh, situations, maybe in your lifetime, where somebody came out with a great product or great idea, and it was just ahead of its time. Yeah. It was just a little too early. And then someone, give you an example, one of my favorites, uh -huh. TRX. Uh -huh. Every trainer I know, and probably every trainer you know, invented the TRX in 1980, right? It was, uh, you know, had my girlfriend sew together some uh, climbing straps and a little bit yeah. of this, and it's all this stuff you could do, and you can hang it from a doorway. No one executed on it. TRX just did an amazing job. It's a, it's the simplest product you've ever seen. Yep. And everybody, again, it's, it was an idea that it wasn't even a novel idea. They just executed beautifully, and the timing was just right. Yeah, people were transitioning from that conventional. Yeah, there's like machine weightlifting, you know, which is obviously one lever. Yeah, you know, no stability, nothing yeah. else, no proprioception, nothing like yeah. that. And everybody was just trying to get big. And then all of a sudden, people started transitioning into that functional fitness category. Yeah, and there was TRX waiting with the right brand, the right product, and the right idea at the right time yep so that's definitely like an important thing to remember too is you know you may have you may have an idea it may just may not be the right time you know and you can you can just be mindful of that like yep. where is what is the general macro trend like where are things going and yeah, try and, and figure and, that out you know and if and if it doesn't look like it's time are you the person to make it time right right do you have the traction do you have the connections in the space because there's that too yeah now when it comes to when it comes to choosing a brand so this is this is an interesting thing because brands really are a lot about the people behind the brand right like you had primal blueprint but really it was you as well like what do you think the importance is of still projecting this kind of avatar of a brand versus yourself because obviously i'm in a position where i have both there's on mm -hmm. it which is this kind of idea that now has a very much a life of its own, but I'm deeply infused in. And then I have Aubrey Marcus and mm -hmm. two slightly distinct things. What would you say to someone who's thinking about creating a personal brand versus just going out and working on their own name? Uh, working on their own name? Like, like putting brand? out their own, their own, like basically building their own platform just as themselves yeah. versus like creating a brand. Because I, one time, my podcast was called The Warrior Poet Project. Mm -hmm. This was an idea that I had mm -hmm. and nobody knew who I was. And I was like, all right, well, I'll create this idea. And that felt safer. But eventually it was like, well, that's actually a little bit more limiting since this is really just me talking about it anyway. Right. So I might as well just call it, you know, the Aubrey Marcus podcast. Mm -hmm. then it's, and I think it's interesting now because I talk to different people who are, you know kind of creating these little brands and and i think one of the pitfalls i see is if you create a brand but you don't really stick with it and you don't really invest in it then you've put a lot of effort into something that's ephemeral yeah. something that will eventually evaporate like you know and it'll just go away but you yourself won't go away so i tend to advise people unless they're really going to go big to like push that energy into themselves into themselves into their name yeah yeah, you know, um, I think it, there's a little bit of both there that um, you do have to have some 
actual person person associated with the brand. So if you come up with a great name, I still think you, you in in many cases you want a person behind it because you want that authenticity and you want that uh, credibility and and whatever. Like in my case, you know, I was sort of a objective third party reporter for health and wellness, and that gave me uh, a following who over time would trust that I was looking out for their best interests and I wasn't trying to necessarily sell them anything. And then when I did sell them something, it was because I believed in it fully. But it was always about, you know, my having, like like being able to see a person behind the brand. Now, I can point to brands that have, uh, you know, you don't know necessarily who's behind them and they're, and they're doing great. And they might be mm-hmm. cutesy brands. I mean, I, you know, I don't know who's behind Casper, you know, the bed company. It's been yeah. a very successful brand. Um, you know, uh, even in my, uh, space, um, you know, who's Sir Kensington, right? So, um, he's the monopoly guy. Exactly. <laughs> That's the monopoly exactly. guy. What do you mean? I, I saw yeah, yeah, him yeah. on every box. But, no, I, and I, I'm, I not, bought, I'm not, I'm not dissing. Boardwalk. Yeah. I'm not dissing them, but you know, there, so there are definitely some brands that don't have, uh, you know, the, the, the the one-on-one connection but you sure. know we know you know siete foods that's a yeah. that's a family that's totally behind that that brand right yeah. and you know who it is so um you know you can you can go both ways but i feel like it's always um so so if you're going to create your own brand as a person you got to be careful once again that this is what you want to do because if you gotta, if as your yeah. as your name and your brand you go down that path a lot of times there's like you know there's less ability to pivot yeah. but if you have a you know, uh, a name that's not your family name, and that's the name of your company, but you're behind it. Now it gives you a little bit more opportunity. So and there's I, there may be an advantage to the disposability of a yeah, brand, is I what think you're so, saying, yeah. unless it is something that you know is an essential part of you. I mean, yeah. one of the reasons why I think you were so successful, you're saying you're a non-partial reporter, but nonetheless. When you're talking about slack lines, you also have one in your backyard and you're yeah. also walking on it and you're yeah. also like living it. You know it was something that you're going to continue to do. It was yeah. not something that you would ever dispose of. Maybe there'll be a few weeks where you don't get on the line or something like yeah. that, but it's not like you would ever say, oh yeah, the old me used to walk on the slack yeah. line, but the new me is not identified with such a thing. Well, it's interesting because you know in the in the sale, of the company, uh, Kraft Heinz was very clear. Look, Mark, we, we you know, we, we want to put in protections that you don't start eating a lot of carbohydrates and change the, you know, <laughs> and, ch- and change your way of eating. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's a good point. And I'm, it's, it's highly unlikely, uh, but you know, that's the kind of thing they, that they don't want to invest in that company that has that credibility behind it, and then find out that the that the founder eventually decides, ah. Uh, whatever that was then and i'm you know i'm gonna eat lots of pies and cakes and candies and cookies and ice cream and and uh, yeah yeah that's funny i mean i would have did they actually succeed in getting that in the in oh the, it's the no i mean <laughs> we we had to we had to sort of put some documentation behind that yeah yeah so if you just wanted to be a total fat ass and just eat kentucky fried chicken and yeah and cherry pies ain't gonna happen ain't gonna happen yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's a pretty safe bet yeah that, that, was, no, but that wasn't if, but, gonna but be no. your personal pivot yeah that's not gonna be my personal pivot yeah 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 that's uh that's that's an interesting way to look at it and i think you know so many uh, a lot of people would like to start the go ahead no i was just gonna add to that so so there's a responsibility that comes with building a personal brand with your name in it yeah you know and um and so i would i would say to people you know who are going down that path be careful what you wish for because if it comes true now you're basically in the public eye and you're i mean i don't i get taking that 
thing a step further. Every once in a while, I like, I like to have a piece of bread. Yeah. A bite of bread. Not a piece <laughs> of bread, but a bite of bread. What if it's with Ben a, Greenfield's with, freshly baked yeah, there sourdough you go. loaf? Yeah, yeah, you uh, well, then I'll have three bites of that. But, you know, slathered in butter, right? But yeah. if I'm in a restaurant and somebody's like, oh, get it, you know, get the photograph <laughs> on, you know, here's Sisson eating bread. It's like you don't understand the concept. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, but, but to be, you know, then to be sort of beholden to the brand image that you created, it's difficult then to, 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 it it's almost you it's almost like if you're building a personal brand you have to divorce the word brand you're just building your personal self yeah build, well that's building what it's the expo and you have to be you really have to be authentic with it because yeah. in the world that we're in now that gets exposed immediately so fast immediately and immediately yeah and people also think that there's less like i know for me personally so eight years ago i was talking about plant medicines i was talking about ayahuasca i was talking about psilocybin use and this was before all the scientific research came out supporting the benefits. There were some old studies and old things from Rick Strassman and a few indications, some LSD studies, some things. But this was really me, you know, going, walking the walk, doing this for years, experiencing it and talking about it. And I was also the same time I was starting on it. And I had a bunch of advisors saying, like, you cannot talk about psychedelics. Man. Mm -hmm. It's fucking terrible for your brand. It's terrible for I was like. Well, I can't not talk about it. Yeah. You know, like I can't shelter this wildly beneficial tool that I've used to become the person that I am. Like I have to keep talking about it. Mm -hmm. And and that was an interesting thing where people are advising, okay, bad for the brand, bad for your brand. And I and there was it was reflected in the in the online community. I mean, I had every time I would talk about it, one out of every four people at that point would start calling me names. Oh, you fucking druggy, go do some more drugs, go to the jungle, yeah. you must be on drugs now, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just wade through that because mm -hmm. I this is something that I know is going to continue to be a part of my life, and I really believe in it. And now, as the scientific paradigm has kind of proved that out, you know, I don't get that anymore. Yeah. You know, you yeah. don't talk about plant medicine anymore and have a bunch of people because there's this host of clinical research showing yeah. the benefits for all, all across the board. So, I think you have to, you know, be mindful that people may advise you, oh, you can't talk about this, oh, you can't do this, but if it's authentically you like go for it you know like if you really believe in it like i encourage people to have more faith that the world will be forgiving you know if it's your authentic and it's something that you can really back up yeah and that's that's a key part if it's authentic if it's part of you if it's something you can back up um if it's something you're willing to um you know fight for then go for it yeah versus you know some uh short-term political rant it's going to get your ass in trouble and you didn't even mean it anyway right or, right you know right it's interesting i'm actually in the same i'm actually in a similar position now which is funny to be in again because this is like a rerun with a different topic because mm -hmm. i've been in an open relationship with my fiance whitney and at the same time i'm getting advisors coming out hey man you got to stop talking about that you know mm -hmm. like you can't i was like uh, well, I can't really, yeah, yeah. unless you just want me to be a fraud yeah. and not explain like this thing, which has been wildly instructional for me, helped me transcend all kinds of pitfalls of jealousy and my ego and concern and insecurity. And it's been an amazing experience for me. Like, I'm going to talk about it. But those same different crew of people are like, no, 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 man. Like, and it's like, I hear you. Like, yeah. I'm still getting, you know, that one out of four people who are just flaming me online and right, saying right. Uh, all of these things. But, nonetheless like this is the truth of me and it has to come out yeah and you're getting in front of it versus having to react to somebody else posting it for you right you know in a different context right and that's the that's the other thing like people who are 
pretending to be one thing and then they get the other thing it's the classic like anti-gay crusader who's caught in a bathroom stall like <laughs> yeah. blowing his male intern yeah, you know what yeah, i mean like yeah. that's the stuff that's yeah. really damaging but you're authentically expressing it and then if you're wrong you know like okay i'm wrong then yeah. you go out and be like yeah totally wrong about that you know sorry everybody if you yeah. listen to me yeah. turns out that wasn't that wasn't real yeah you know what i mean and, and i think people are a lot more they're actually okay with that. It's that it's when no, you're just caught lying that it's a no, problem. for sure. I mean, I I um I set out early on uh, some guidelines. One of which was I reserve the right to change my mind on anything I advise <laughs> yeah, you about, exactly. right? And I've done that a couple of times, not a lot, but a couple of times. Mm -hmm. You know, a classic example is Tim Noakes. You know, do you know Tim Noakes? No, nope. Professor Tim Noakes. He was the the go to guy in the world of carbohydrate management for thirty years. He wrote more papers than any, anybody else in the world on. The importance of carbohydrates, the importance of glycogen, the importance of managing glycogen if you're an endurance athlete. He did studies on the Comrades Marathon in South Africa. He did. He wrote the book called The Lore of Running, L-O-R-E of Running. It was like 900 pages long. Everyone who was a runner read it. And then about eight years ago, he got he 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 was diagnosed with type two diabetes. His father had died of type two diabetes. His brother or his his uncle had it, and he just started reading some of the stuff that we put that Rob and I put out and the rest of the low carb community. And he switched around, like did a 180. And now he's mm -hmm. all about low carb and keto and, and he's getting railed upon by the South African um, science community and medical community. And yet he's like the bravest guy you ever met because he was, this was who he was for 30 years. And all of a sudden he goes, my bad. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. I was telling you all the wrong stuff and I'm willing to admit it and i'm so i could have i could have just gone on and defended you know this way of eating and this way of living but that would have been disingenuous and that would have been inauthentic because i got freaking type 2 diabetes so here's what i did and here's what i learned from and i just think it's the greatest thing ever i just think that's this that's the kind of scientist i want somebody who looks at the evidence and goes wow there's new evidence <laughs> yeah i guess i gotta shift my thinking and it's just gross when they just go down defending the old paradigm, you know, yeah. and that's something that you see in academia is actually a citation in my book that really well-established professors and, and academics, when they pass is only like, they're almost like the gatekeepers, right? If they have this theory that, and then all the underlings and all the other researchers have to kind of pass through their theory. And then it's actually when they die that all of the other papers come out yeah. that are actually advancing Contrarian, the field, yeah, whatever, right? Because yeah. they're holding, they're like holding the fence yeah. for this one set of ideals, which is really actually insecure and, and kind of scared. And it's putting your ego yeah. of being an authority above the truth. And like, we all have to surrender to the truth yeah. ultimately. And if we don't, it's just fucking gross. Just gross. One of the examples of this, all right. So there's a, there was supposed to be a debate between the head Egyptologist and Graham Hancock. Well, Graham Hancock has a host of evidence that some of the Egyptian monuments were a lot older than the traditional model would suggest. And the Egyptologist comes in there and they're supposed to have a debate and Graham's all ready and very polite. He's, and then he just freaks out, has a temper tantrum and walks out of the debate before it happens, right? Because he doesn't actually have the substance to actually have this debate and go, wow, that's really interesting. And he doesn't have the courage to go like, yeah, shit, maybe the Sphinx is 12,000 yeah. years old. Yeah. Like, man, this is really good evidence, man. Yeah. Let's take a look at this. Let's yeah. examine it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, well, you know, human nature to to uh, hold on to a position, maybe a little <laughs> bit longer than you 
Ought to. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you're now in a position, you've always been an investor. I've seen you at some of these investor conferences. Our mutual friend, John Durant's put on some of these and um, you're a savvy investor. Sure. You've made some, you know, big wins, some big losses along the board. What are you looking for when you're not investing in yourself? Because I'll be quite frank that every time I've not invested in myself, I've just gotten hosed. Yeah. Like I'm not a good investor. So, so that's been my experience. So again, <laughs> no, uh, not investing in you and getting hosed, but, but, but yeah. uh, you know, not investing in, no, in, look, the, I mean, Gary Vee, you, you called his name up first. I mean, he's the first one who'll say, invest in yourself, invest in yourself, invest yeah. in your education. Um, every time I'm, I've invested in myself, I, it's paid dividends. And, and so I make some money and then I go, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> I'm going to go invest in somebody else, which is kind of almost weird in and of itself. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had some angel investments. Uh, some have like done extremely well. I'm a hundred x on uh, on on one of my investments, you know, and mm-hmm. it was a s- significant investment. Um, you know, some have got, like gone entirely down the toilet. I mean, angel investing is like playing the slots, right? You put a quarter <laughs> in, you pull the handle, and you hope you get a big payoff. But yeah. if you don't, you only lost a quarter, right? right? And that's kind of how I look at angel investing is I have X amount of money that I'm willing to allocate to angel investing. And um, and I pick I pick companies that uh, I know the space they're in. Uh, I know that I can help move the needle. I know that I can mentor the the, early, the young management, you know, group or whatever. So I'm, I'm uh, you know, I look at a lot of deals and I, I only pick a few. Yeah. Um, versus, for instance, private equity or venture capital, which they sort of wait and see what happened in the initial, uh, you know, after the angels went in, the family and friends and, 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 and everybody got in and they proved the concept and they established a uh, foothold. Or yeah, a, angels it, are looking for that 20, 50, 100x and venture caps looking for that reliable two to five x yeah well in in tech it's still a hundred but yeah <laughs> but in food for instance uh you know they're looking for three to five yeah you know over over a period of years and you know, if they get a 10 once in a while that's awesome um but they're putting a lot more money at risk mm-hmm. um so you know angel investing is um is just one of my strategies for taking the money that i have and you know trying to um increase it, increase it in value it's amazing though how after I've had this big payday, how fucking risk averse I've become. It's like just sticking a mattress, you know, like just hide it, hide it around the house. I don't want to invest in anything, right. you know. So that was that was an interesting revelation there. Of the of the angel investments you made and of the other investments you made, how many times does it succeed or fail based upon the individuals behind it versus the concept? Because I've invested in a lot of things and had amazing concept but watched it get typically sabotaged by the individuals who are involved somehow they have some ego issue or some aversion to success some yeah. idea that they don't deserve it some perfectionism which is really the preventing them from actually moving forward or some there's a million or some traits. hubris that, yeah, that hubris, comes from right. from uh you know um two partners having mbas and deciding they're going to be entrepreneurs when when all they've you know ever really done is run spreadsheets for large companies and so they don't know how, they like they don't have that feeling of an entrepreneur like every time you write a check it's like fuck Ouch. i don't want <laughs> you know 120 bucks really and right. then these guys are like ah 250,000 for marketing let's be sure we spend it all so you know cuz that's the budget i don't know it it i think it very often depends on the people um ideas like i say the TRX was like you know it was it was a it's a silly little idea 
that, that whose time finally came when the right people glommed onto it at the right time. Uh, you know, there, there are lots of these, I mean, bird, I mean, sorry. You know, some of these scooters that you see around town, mm-hmm. these companies are valued at $5 billion or $15 billion. I'm sorry, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> it. It's like, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's a scooter. Yeah. So it must be, um, the point is it must be the people, I guess. It must be, you know, the people or whatever, because the, because the concept is pretty simple. It's not reinventing anything. It's just sort of repositioning something. It's, um, mm-hmm. But every deal's different. That's, that's the, the bottom line is every deal's different. So, uh, you know, when I invested in Thrive, I met two amazing founders who had a mission that was aligned with mine. Uh, I was compelled to write a check on the spot, which I did. Uh, you know, we, we had the good fortune of, of launching our companies at the same time. So when Thrive Market was launching their platform, I was launching my mayonnaise. And, uh, you know, they, since I knew those guys, they, they called me up and say, hey, Mark, you know, you got this new mayonnaise. Can we be the exclusive online distributor? And I'm like, well, I don't have any other online distributor. <laughs> yeah, sure, you can be the exclusive online distributor. So then they used at that as a sort of a premium to get memberships. And then obviously we supplied the product and made money on that. And we developed a- So it's a, it was already a synergistic relationship too, which yeah. is another idea about investing. Like the investments that haven't really worked for me, I'll, yes, it's people, but it's also random things. You know, something that's like completely unrelated to yeah. the momentum that I have. Like, oh, that's a cool idea, yeah. even though I don't know shit about yeah. what you're talking about and there's no way that we can work together on anything. Yeah. I still think it's a cool idea. Those are the ones that I think are are a lot riskier than something like- Oh, for sure. No, I mean, you You know, I think, again, I, I want to know the business. I want to understand the business. Uh, and so when somebody brings me an idea that I just can't, figure out at all i'm like i I, i'm sorry i'm out just because i i can't wrap my brain around what it is we're selling Mm -hmm. and there have been a couple of those um like that's my that's my point on crypto i don't understand crypto i don't like i have all these things in my brain about blockchain it's like well wait a minute when does it it just it becomes exponentially more complex and why do we want to keep track of all this (laughs) shit anyway and wait a minute and then they're gonna you're gonna make fake money and then you're gonna think that it's going to increase in value just because it's fake money and people want I, I didn't how are you going to buy drugs on the bar on the I, dark I, web yeah, yeah. mark yeah how are you going to buy anyway, drugs so, on the dark so web? i'm That's sure there's, i'm say. sure there's a ton of people out there like you idiot you should have stayed in <laughs> i never got in but you sh- you know and i'm like nope i'm not going to play in crypto even though i have the means to do that and i have a lot of access through a lot of really smart people yeah. who say Here, hey mark just take it from me you trust me, right? We're going to do this. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't understand it. Yeah, I think I put like I put like 10 grand in a crypto and now it's worth like 2 grand. That <laughs> was like yeah. that's my that's like okay, typical. That's, no, I'm typical. obviously At least it didn't go to zero yeah. like most of my other investments. This is actually a yeah, win for me. So but far. I only so lost far. 500%. So far. So far. <laughs> yeah, so far. Um yeah, how do you make a small fortune in crypto? Start with a large fortune, right? So um yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to I don't want to who knows in two years it might be the big thing but anyway my point is um i so i get into businesses that i understand and that i think i can help move the needle so whether yeah. my you know whether my platform i can talk about it on my platform or whether uh you know i can help with the management team and kind of give them insights into the into the business that we're in and of course you know durant's model which was a great one and still is which is corralling influencers yeah. as investors. So not not only does he does the company raise the money through the influencers, but now they have they have influencers who are invested in the company and and want to move the needle and will do 
uh, go beyond the you know the normal uh, re- requirements to to mm-hmm. help drive traffic to the site or whatever it is to sell the product. Yeah, that's the, that's the key thing, and I think influencers is one of those hot words that everybody's talking about right now. Ooh, influencers, influencers, and I think there's a there's really two different, very different types of influencers. So it's like a girl that's gotten a lot of followers because she shows her butt, and mm-hmm. a guy who's gotten a lot of followers because he shows his abs, but no one's actually ever heard them talk, nor yeah. have any idea about their lifestyle, nor have any idea who they are, yeah. what their voice is, or even it could be an athlete who's just never talked or done anything except for their sport. Like those people, they don't really move the needle much. No, it's the no. people who you know the person behind it. Like we've worked with a lot of fighters. No fighter has done better for us than Donald Cerrone. Well, Brendan Chobb's an ex-fighter too, but he's really far transcended that. Donald's still fighting. The reason is that people know Donald. Yeah. Like if you watch, it's not just, he's not just a fighter. Like you understand what he stands for. You understand the person behind that. And so when he says something, people are like, oh, Okay, but if, if it's just some random Instagram model who says something, they'll be like, ah, oh, they just got paid. Yeah. And even, even working, we've had the, you know, fortune, we don't officially work with them. We haven't transferred any money, but like Ludacris would say something about an Onnit product. And we'd be like, here we go. Everybody watch the computers, warehouse, get ready on standby. Yeah. But people don't listen to Ludacris for health tips. Oh, you no, know, they don't. They I don't. Not. They, and they just assume that, yeah. oh man, Onnit must have paid him a bunch of money. Well, we didn't, but yeah. nonetheless, like, it's not his wheelhouse. It's not what people are listening to him yeah. for. So that influencer isn't as effective as somebody who's just running a small community that's based in trust and has something to say yeah. about something that you have. So I really think thinking about that makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, when when Thrive uh, launched, they had like 200 uh, investor influencers on the cap table, wow. uh, all of whom were in the uh, paleo space. Right. And uh, well, not when they launched, but maybe a year into it when they did a, another round. Uh, and, and these are all uh, influencers. Who, even if they only had 10,000 followers on Instagram or 15 or whatever, they were rabid followers of what, right. what these people had to say. So, you know, it was, it, they were quality audiences versus, like you say, 1.2 million uh, followers of a just purely voyeuristic. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's not going to be as effective. And I think there yeah. are some. Presumably, there's some supplement companies that have carved out some money just by the brand exposure from doing that. You know, like I, I, I don't know these companies personally, but I'm imagining that they're around and exist and well, have, I mean, have leveraged this to some effect. But it, I can't imagine that it's the same effect as finding people yeah. who you trust because I, ha- I haven't experienced that at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can look at something like. So I just watched that fire documentary. Did you see that about the fe- music festival that didn't happen? The giant scam no, they had in no, the Bahamas. No. So this, these guys with Ja Rule, they set up this giant festival, but they didn't actually have the island and they didn't actually have the lodging. And they sold a bunch of stuff and turned into this Lord of the Flies nice. disaster. <laughs> but they they launched it yeah. with models and paid like Kendall Jenner, oh, yeah, like yeah, 250K yeah, yeah. And, and all this. But what they were selling was an experience where you might get to hang with a model and listen to music. So actually getting models for their product, which was a party with models, mm-hmm. you're hoping in the Bahamas, right? That actually made sense. Now it turned out they didn't have the goods, right? They couldn't right. produce a festival. They offered gourmet meals and they had a cheese sandwich. And and it was funny, they talk about in the documentary, they had like the top supermodels in the world all posting to launch it. And all it took was one picture of a cheese sandwich going viral <laughs> that took the whole thing down, right? you right. know? Um, but yeah, I mean, really thinking about not just getting any influencer. And and when people start, sometimes you'll get starstruck by 
an influencer, right? And I've seen this happen before. Like, oh, well, I'm going to give this person a huge piece of my company because they got an audience. Well, it better be the right person. You know, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen, uh, you know, and this happened more like five and 10 years ago where an influencer would come out and just say, look, I've got this big following and I'm happy to, I don't want to take any money for it. Just give me 5% or just give me 2%. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're an owner and you're giving up that much equity to one guy on the, on some, you know, hollow promise, that's, you know, that's doomed to fail. Yeah. I did it. I gave out little pieces to our first, yeah, yeah. you know, first athlete and and celebrity influencers. Like, yeah. sure, because that because yeah. I was rich in equity and I was yeah. poor in clout. Yeah. You yeah. know, so you, like you give out a little piece, and then later you're like, damn, that was a good deal yeah. I gave that person. Yeah, right? exactly. I didn't have the the foresight to realize like, all right, what was going to move the needle? What was going to be effective? Yeah, what is the appropriate value? You right. know, given the the likelihood of success of this thing. Yeah. So I would ask you. If you went back and looked at it, you know, uh, was there a significant value add with with some of those awards that you gave out? Because maybe it got you to where you are today, where you might have struggled, you know, had you not taken that on. I think there was <clears throat> what we really found was that there was a clout issue that kind of helped with the brand, mm -hmm. like seeing actual professionals who'd won Super Bowls and like done something, and our ability to be able to use those people and say like, hey, like this person you know, has won Super Bowls. This person has been to the Pro Bowl and they're genuinely enthusiastically supportive. I actually picked names like AJ Hawk. I picked his name off a packing slip mm. because he ordered it. And I was like, is that the, it's from Ohio. That's where he's from. I bet that's a real reached out and it was a real deal. And he was one of the very first. And I think, so you can't actually, you know, um, understand maybe what the effect of that was of the very first yeah person with legitimate pro athlete clout yeah you know that kind of came through and then obviously now it's a much different landscape where there's a lot but expecting that person to actually sell product yeah is a different, thing. different thing so yeah. you got to understand like is this a clout play is this something to just say look here's somebody who's excellent at what they do and they love our thing and then it's all about you putting that story out there mm -hmm. rather than relying on them to put you know oh, put yeah. your story out there oh yeah yeah what do you say all right we'll change change directions here real quick what do you say to the people who say that high fat dieting keto whatever you want to call it keto you know we've kind of rebranded that a little bit to be more like keto-ish which is basically high fat low carb mm -hmm. what do you say to people who are saying that this is just a fad well i mean keto is probably going to get renamed um well it's already been renamed because it's keto it used to be ketogenic so now it's right. become keto and i've talked about I've used the only use the term keto in the stuff that I do with the keto reset diet. I talk about living in the keto zone. So you know, once once you've uh, cleaned up your act, once you've gotten rid of the sugars and the and the artificial you know, sweetened drinks and the pies and the cakes and the candies and the cookies and the and the industrial seed oils, uh, which are pro-inflammatory, and you come down to to real food, um, you know, you've you you're basically uh, reconfiguring your metabolism. You're creating metabolic flexibility, which allows you to burn fat, uh, carbohydrate, glycogen, glucose, whatever, you've created this metabolic flexibility, you don't need to be in ketosis, right? right? It's not like, once you've built a machinery to it's burn It's not binary, fats, and I think that's what some people get confused about. You know, and I, and I, I, I just, 
I love it and I hate it when people say I get. And we talked about it earlier before the show. I get kicked out of keto. It's like, <laughs> like where where do they do you go to exile or something like that? Do you have to hang out in your room for two days. What does that mean? Kicked out of keto? Time out. You go in carb time out. Carb time out. Yeah. And um, you know, I mean, you know, it basically comes down to how do you feel, right? And if yeah. and if you feel energetic, energetic all the time, and your body composition is good, and your strength is good, and your power is good, and your cognition is good, and you sleep well, and your sex is great. Then, then you, then you're doing pretty well. And who gives a rat's ass whether you're blowing a high acetone on a meter or you got a five o a five point millimolar on a ketone strip? It's just immaterial. It's like mm-hmm. how is your body using different substrates uh, in the presence of food or in the absence of food? And that's really what it's all about. So I think, I do think we're headed toward a much uh, lower sugar, lower sweetener sort of way of eating across the board. I think people are really uh, getting that. They're finally. Even the general public is getting the concept yep. of sugar being bad. The next step back is simple carbohydrates, which basically become sugar. And as you draw back from that, and, and you know, there's been all of the thing in the last, you know, decades about you know white starchy foods, so white bread and potatoes and rice, and we probably should cut back on that. So there is a trend across the country toward, I think, lower carb eating. Now, whether keto is going to be the the law nomen- of the, the land the nomenclature then, yeah i don't i don't know i don't you know it's like for now it works um but i think that the whatever we call it it will be will all trend toward eating that way i yeah that's exactly what i tell people too because there's all kinds of fad diets you know that have come out that have been actually legitimate fads like um even even let's say master cleanse and not to knock on that i don't know the research behind it but it's pretty high in sugar you know, it's pretty, and it's a, it's basically lemon, cayenne, a bunch of agave nectar, which yeah. is like pure fructose or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever they have or honey or something like that. And very high in all that. And that was kind of like a fad cleanse, you know, to the, to the yeah. most part, yeah. right? Because like there was some metabolic misperceptions about the body needing, you know, pure fructose during this situation, yeah, right? Yeah, that, right? That you had to have this. And, and even some of the juice cleanses, like you still go to juice bars all over the place. They'll have that one juice that's green that isn't fucking super high in yeah, sugar. Yeah. And that's the one I'm always getting, but that'll be like one option. Whereas yeah. the more progressive places will start to have that because we're actually a pretty reliable, there's like a pretty reliable, relatable, you know, kind of understanding of how our metabolism works and like higher fat, lower simple carbohydrate just works for human beings yeah. for the most part yeah you know so that's you know that argument oh it's just a fat i don't think it's just a fat you know but as you said the name name could be anything yeah what do you think about all right so let's talk about something that kind of blew up and had a big name and it's kind of seems to be trailing in the zeitgeist and that's paleo mm-hmm. so what do you think about that as a brand and as an understanding i mean obviously they had some good principles get back to eating real food yeah. but what do you think the issues are with that as a brand? I mean, I think a uh, great example of of uh, a fad that uh, a name was was given to it that probably wasn't, you know, evergreen. It wasn't going to last a long time. It has too much connotation with, you know, cavemen and and the Paleolithic era, which is not a bad thing. It was a great device to give an image to people to think about and kind of align their diets with with ancestral ways of eating, but over the long haul, so, so the, so the, the intellectual property of paleo has stayed. I mean, it's basically remained, it's a low carb way of eating with clean foods. And so a lot of what paleo 
started out um, espousing remains, and the term kind of fades in the background. So people are now eating, I think a lot more people are calling what they do low carb than they are calling it paleo. Yeah, paleo had, I think the downfall was, is that they had a list of acceptable foods and a list of unacceptable foods without any particular attention paid to what the actual macronutrient profile of what you're doing like you could just fucking pound sweet potatoes drizzled in honey all day yeah you know if you wanted to and that's really not metabolically going to be beneficial to you even though it's paleo right you know like so i think that was where it kind of started to run into problems is that it was really talking about okay yeah it's better to eat foods that are not processed you know so it had enough good parts about it but then without addressing like the actual metabolic issues with eating carbohydrates or fats or proteins or and all the other things involved you're leaving a little bit on the table i think oh, well and then there were the uh you know all of the companies started making paleo treats and paleo uh you know desserts so you have a you know a a a, a bun that has 45 grams of <laughs> carbs mostly in the form of simple sugar but it's pure you know cane sugar or it's pure natural maple (laughs) syrup or it's pure whatever and it's like so it fits the paleo kind of description of you know if a caveman would have eaten it would he had he come across it in a field would he have eaten it (laughs) dude if he'd have come across anything in any field he would have eaten it it's just let's not go there but um yeah so you're right the so the macro part of the macronutrient part the breakdown of paleo got sort of quickly um uh, it became like anything goes mm-hmm. as, as long as it fits these these uh purity criteria it became almost religious yeah rather than actual mm-hmm. practical like there was it was like an act of faith yeah you know where it like didn't really matter what the macronutrient micronutrient profile was yeah you as long as it was do, paleo as long as labeled yeah, paleo yeah, yeah. then just it must be eating it must bacon be okay. and sweet potatoes all day yeah which yeah. a lot of people did and, yeah. and you know and some still do um yeah so so the paleo thing Again, it's like I'm not even sure the Primal Blueprint is going to last, you know, much longer. But Primal Kitchen, you know, that's a, I, you know, if I now that it has the traction, it's hit sort of a critical mass in terms of distribution. I suspect that it'll be a billion dollar brand, a billion in sales by 2027. That's my prediction. Amazing. So yeah, well, it's amazing to you know to hear it now. If it happens, great. <laughs> yeah. It would be amazing if it does. Uh, but that's sort of what we're we're planning on. Yeah. Uh, we want to be, you know, the preeminent, uh, better for you brand in in this space. Um, my lawyers cringe when I say healthy, healthy foods. You can't you can't use the word healthy in conjunction with any foods, apparently. So yeah, especially healthy fats. Yeah, that's yeah. a no, that's a no no. Um, so when you, one of the things that's kind of I think about sometimes is obviously we're invested not only in creating entrepreneurial ventures that meet our own needs and actually serve the people and be able to actually, but putting out ideas ideas that can help people who are suffering you know i mean so obesity is one of the biggest killers one of the biggest drags on people's lives people's emotional stability their hormone structure that all of these different things but do you ever do you have concern about how this information seems to be segmented only to a certain amount of people because for example i went to i went to nashville and nashville you can go to whole foods and you can see all these things but i went 30 minutes out of nashville i went to a grocery store i go into that grocery store and i ask them if they have almond butter and they looked at me like what the fuck are you talking about i was like it's like peanut butter but made with almonds and it was like i watched their brain explode like wow 
what would that be like? <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, so yeah. no almond butter? Yeah. So that's that's yeah. what you're saying. That's yeah. what I'm Basically, picking yeah. up from this, right? Yeah. But this was only like two years ago, mm-hmm. right? To, like, to, to know that in this place, 30 minutes from a major metropolitan area, Nashville, there was no knowledge of almond butter amongst any of the grocery clerks or the manager of the store. Nobody knew what almond butter is. Then it, then it started to go like, oh, shit. Like, how, how is this going to happen? Do you have faith that it's just going to kind of gradually roll through? Or does there need to be some like more organized boots on the ground kind of efforts here? I, I have to hope that what you experienced was an outlier because, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we deal with um, tens of thousands of stores. And these stores are getting pretty hip. I mean, some of the ones that you would, would recognize as iconic um, you know, Publix, Kroger's, Safeway, Albertsons, uh, they're all very hip to what's happening. And they're and getting more and more so. Even yeah. even like the big ones like Sam's Club and Walmart. I think Walmart's the biggest distributor of uh, uh, organic, organic foods. Yeah. We're rolling out in Walmart with a ketchup uh, second quarter of, of this year. Um, and we've been in Costco for a while. I mean, there is there is a movement that's happening in this country I, I sort of coined it. Uh, I, I kind of co-opted a term from uh, uh, Moore, Gordon Moore, but um, you know, it's I call it Mark's Law, which basically states that every 18 months, the number of people who are willing to buy stuff labeled healthy or better for you will double, and that's a trend that's not going to reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just know too much about the negative effects of a crappy diet. So any retailer that doesn't get on board with that is going to lose market share. They're going to yeah. lose customers. It's, it was interesting. I was in um, I was in Patagonia, Chile, uh, a little while ago. We're staying in a really nice staying at a really nice lodge, doing kind of a little isolation um, deep dive for myself. And I allowed myself to have coffee during the stretch, and I'd always have it with butter. So I'd order the coffee with butter. And there was like one or two of the like bartender waiters, like people looked like they were pretty fit, or like ooh butter coffee, like I got it. But other people would just look at me like what in the hell are you doing yeah you know and, and are was, you ruining the butter or are you ruining the coffee <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly and it's uh it's just interesting to see how you know it had penetrated a little bit there and yeah. you do that here you know most of the time people are like oh yeah i've heard of that they may not be into it themselves but yeah. they kind of loosely understand it but i think as you get farther and farther away it just gets a little bit slower and slower yeah you know and people are going to hopefully it's just start adapting but i think the speed at which that happens is going to increase as it hits the media and as it hits songs and as it hits you know tv shows yeah. and, and all the distribution ways that we get information yeah i mean you know and we see that um you know europe is typically five years behind us in those sorts of trends um australia is two years behind us i mean it, you know there, there's a little bit of a a gap there and it may be cultural it may be just uh you know it takes some critical mass of people within a country to adopt something to have it kind of spread out a little bit, yeah. you know, a little bit more aggressively. But I feel really confident that we're headed in the right direction and that there's nothing to a question that you would pose a little bit earlier. There's really nothing we need to do to, you know, uh, to orchestrate this any, any more aggressively than we are. It's just happening. It's just like word of mouth and, and social media and, um, It'll, you know, it's it's just people are getting smarter in in the order in which they're already smart. They're they're sort of, you know, they're they're adapting to these new ways. They're understanding the science, 
Uh, they're buying the products. They're incorporating them into their lifestyles. And all of this is just going to create a great, beautiful, wonderful new world. No, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, it would make a huge difference, yeah. you know, when people, because this is the foundation, you know, you look at something like Maslow's hierarchy, like if you're really struggling with weight issues and your gut is completely out of balance and you're, then your psychology is going to be off. It's going to put a lot of pressure on your mind and your mindset and then your emotional body and then your spiritual access, all of these different things. When your body is really devoid of energy, devoid of vitality, when you're struggling with these other conditions, it becomes so much harder to advance yeah. in these other fields. It's just a headwind rather than a tailwind, you know, rather than that form of support that we can always rely on, you know, to provide tangible proof that, all right, we're going to be all right because the body feels right. Yeah. So I think putting, you know, putting as much effort as possible into that base level of the pyramid is always going to pay dividends. Again, investing in yourself, like invest in your body. You know, that's something that you're going to be happy you invested in. 100%. No doubt. Well, thanks for coming by, brother. Thanks for having me. Good yeah, to see man. you. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go get some dinner. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna fucking set up some bread loaves yeah, yeah. you and just set, you up, for, a, set yeah. you up for failure. Good. I'm all about that. <laughs> Test cool. me. Yeah. Uh, where should people go? Mark's Daily Apple? Yeah, Mark's Daily Apple is the blog. Um, Primalkitchen.com to find out about the products there. Um, we have a we have a new coaching program, uh, Primal Health Coach. It's not new; it's five years old now, but it's doing very well. So we train people how to be uh, life coaches. It's called Primal Health Coach Institute. So primalhealthcoach.com. dot com. Um, that's sort of the latest of my uh, where my energy is going into that program. It's uh, it's been very gratifying. We have several thousand people gone through the program and are actually making a, a living, you know, as a as a life coach, as a health coach. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, next step, next time we meet, or at least somewhere close, I got to play Frisbee with you. Yeah, you do. I'm, I'm overdue Man. for some ultimate. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make that happen. Okay. Mark, thank All you, right, brother. Right, I appreciate thanks. it. Yeah. See you later. Thanks for tuning in for the chat with me and Mark. Please have some avocado oil mayonnaise. Check out his Primal Kitchen Mayo. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite products. I have it in my fridge all the time. I actually had a recipe in my book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, that included it for some curry cauliflower potato salad type of thing with the cauliflower no potatoes um but really love his products and love the message that he's putting out there so make sure you check out all of his stuff as well mark's daily apple is his blog and then to give you guys a heads up if you're listening to this before april 22nd know that the semi-annual sale is coming for on it that means that it's pretty much like black friday except it's in april so go to onnit.com slash Aubrey, and please just drop by that page, check it out, see the discounts that are available now. And if you have a big order to place, wait till April 22nd. Otherwise, stock up on your stuff until then, and we will see you next week.